It's Pi Augustine, your Division One candidate for Ipswich. My plan is for a community that is vibrant and attracts world investment, a community that is connected with the state-of-the-art transport system, a community that cares for our people and environment at a time of need. Division One needs a councillor that has the energy and motivation to get things done. A community champion. Find out more about me on my Facebook page, Pi Augustine for Division One. This ad was approved by Pi Augustine candidate. Ipswich deserves strong and stable leadership you know you can trust. I'm Mayor Teresa Harding, and as your Mayor, Ipswich is once again a city that businesses are proud to invest in and families love to call home. To keep our city moving forward, I'm committed to reducing cost of living pressures, expanding our road and transport networks, delivering more for our suburbs, and boosting investment in grassroots sports in our community. So vote one Teresa Harding for Mayor for sustainable growth for Ipswich. Authorised by T Harding, 264 South Station Road, Raceview. Coming up, the story of a charmed childhood growing up in Ipswich and one of determination to succeed in the city they love. June Frank of Walker's Real Estate was born in Ipswich and shares her own personal journey. Plus, if you're in the market right now, some timely advice for buyers and sellers. It's Wednesday, March 17, 2021, and I'm Alan Roebuck. Welcome to Ipswich Today which acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land on which it is produced and pays respects to elders past, present and emerging. This podcast is supported by Kinetics, people-powered web hosting trusted by Australian businesses since 1999. Today's special guest on the show is June Frank, a name synonymous with real estate in Ipswich. Proud to be born and bred here, June continues to be one of the strongest advocates for the city, both on a personal level and as a place to choose your own home. On today's show, we'll get to know June, from her earliest memories of growing up in Ipswich to a stellar real estate career and owner of a successful business. And we'll talk about the current market conditions. June Frank, welcome to Ipswich Today. Thank you. What are your earliest memories of growing up in Ipswich? I think my earliest memories, of course, was my childhood because I um, was born here. And so just the community and the lifestyle and the family that we had. And so earliest memories would be Sunday school, Queen's Park picnics with our cousins and the lovely animal section, not as, you know, amazing as what they have there now, but we had the kangaroos and koalas and you know, big swings, mm. picnic tables, um, the gym gardener pool. We used to go there as a family. Um, we spent hours there and we walked because we didn't have a car in those days. So we lived on Roland Terrace. That's where we grew up, um, a, a modest little colonial with eight children raised in there and my, my only family home with my parents. So they were there for more than 60 years. Wow. And Yes, so um, with that gym gardener pool too, first of all, we used to walk there from Roland Terrace, which would be, oh, several kilometres. Well, that's basically over from behind Blair School. So, yeah, that's, that's a decent walk. Yeah, and so then as we got a bit older, my sister and I were allowed to um, ride our push bikes. And uh, also, um, great childhood memories, cracker nights, remember those? <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, those naughty kids who would let off the bungers behind you. 
Yes, you know, and in the letterboxes and the boys were always in trouble. And But they were great, great nights, great times, you know, and when people were trusted with crackers. So Anzac Day Parade, that was a big thing. My dad was in the Second World War for six years, mm-hmm. so that was always a huge um, part of our life. And to go to the um, service at the um, North Ipswich Railway Station, which um, – North Ipswich Railway Workshop. Sorry, they uh, and my dad worked there for thirty-two years. So we we did that from children right till our parents passed. That was that was a go-to there. Yeah. So your dad was one of the generation that basically had one job for life. Correct. Yeah. Absolutely. He was a five-pound pong. Mm-hmm. He came. He arrived in Sydney after the Second World War with five pound in his pocket. That's why they were called five-pound poms. Because basically they all lost at gambling on the way over. Right. And, <laughs> and so he heard that there were jobs going in the Ipswich Railway Station. So he got on a train, came up, got the job and stayed there for 32 years. Wow. So, so your your primary and secondary schools were where? So Blair School was mm-hmm. uh, my primary school, just around the corner from Roland Terrace. And we used to walk there every day, obviously. And then Ipswich State High is where I had my secondary education and... That was a push bike job out to there. What were you thinking about for career options while you were at school, or you, or you didn't didn't cross your mind then? Well, two things. One, I had had a real hankering to be a school teacher, um, but back in the day, and this is where I think we were all so stable and happy. Is everyone was sure of what was going to happen? As you said, my dad was in the railway his whole life. We had one house. We went to the same school, the same high school. And then we were told you get a job in the railway, the public service or the bank, and it was a job for life. Now, where would you hear now that term, job for life? Never. And and we were just so secure. And then after that, you know, by the time a girl was 18 and 19, you're pretty much expected to be married, you know, and, you know, and that was the end of that. And then you didn't have a job because in those days, um, as soon as you got married, you had to give up your job for a single girl. You weren't allowed to um, take up a position as a married woman. And so I bet a lot of people wouldn't remember that. Well, I vaguely remember it, and it was just such a terrible rule. Um, Can you describe your life in Ipswich during your teenage years? You talked about cracker night and all that kind of stuff. What else was around for teenagers to do? So... Once again, big community things, and my parents were big community people, so we were in Red Cross... We did dancing. The dancing schools were huge in Ipswich and um, we did tapping Highland, uh, ballet, jazz and, you know, most kids were involved in My brothers played hockey, so great sporting town. Kids were either in cricket or dancing. All the parents were there. You know, it's. I just can't say how lucky I've been to have grown up in Ipswich. It sounds like they were happy times. Were there any other standout events that helped shape your view of the world leading into your 20s? Um, I think when the Queen came, we all, we all loved that because my, my parents are all royalties. We, we all love we all love the, um, the Queen and that was a big event and everyone, once again, happy. My, my whole life has just been happy memories. We weren't really involved or exposed to a war or, you know, hoodlism or it was, it was just safe. And mm. it was, you know, you could just walk down the street, walk anywhere, 
everything everything was just perfect. If, if you could think you could have a perfect life, and we were not wealthy people, but we didn't do without anything. What about your first jobs? Yes, well, interestingly enough, um, I finished school at 14. I got my junior pass, and so I'm thinking it's December. I'm going to have the six-week holiday, and my dad just got the Queensland Times, circled the jobs and said, um, on the Saturday morning, first Saturday after the Friday, we broke up. Go downtown and get a job, and don't come home without one. <laughs> so, and so I thought, oh dear. Anyway, so the, right at the top of town, um, there was uh, Statham's, uh, not Statham's, um, oh, it's Hunter and Stockwell real estate agency. So I went in there, and they sat me down, and I had to add up two columns of figures. I had to do handwriting. I had had a typing test and a shorthand test and they said, you've got the job. And I thought, great, at least I've got the weekend off. So I went back home. So hang on a minute, oh. hang on a minute. First job application, you score the job. Absolutely. That's so, fantastic. And it was in a real estate office. <laughs> of all places. <laughs> I know. So And then, um, then I got my railway call up and my public service call up. So I um, got a job in the public service because mum and dad considered that job for life, safe job. Mm-hmm. So for the first year, worked in Brisbane and um, caught the train to Brisbane uh, every day. And how long did you hold that one down? So with, with the public service, I was there until I got married in 1977. So I was in the public service about four years, five years. So, And I was just saying to someone the other day that the work ethic that we had back then, we would get off the train, my girlfriend and I, We'd get off the train and Limestone 88 was the Tate College then. Yes. And getting off that Ipswich train at after 6 o'clock at 9, we would walk up to that Tate College and we paid for our own lessons in shorthand and typing to get our speed and skills up. That was our own money and our own time for a government job to wow. make our skills better. No more money, no more no promotion. Just, just, to, just to improve yourself, better. yep. And I, and I think that's what's lost, you know, not, not just Ipswich everywhere. I think it's just the work ethic as an employer now of people is um, it's just lost. And, and, you know, you can see the demise of June Daly Watkins, you know, passing. Mm. People used to go to department school just to walk right to get a job. Yeah, yeah. Ch- changing times, June, changing times. You mentioned the 70s there. So let's talk about the 70s and 80s in Ipswich. And I think yeah. this would be about the time when Ipswich began its forced transition from relying on coal mines, railways, industry, uh, to yet an unknown economic future. Can you describe the effect that had on families across the city during that period? Yes, absolutely, because that was the Joby Jelke peterson sellout of Ipswich. So it was just very clear. We've always been a Labor town here and... He basically said, if you don't vote for us, I'll shut you down. So still we voted for Labor. And so he shut down the coal mines. He shut down He shut down our powerhouse and then built one at $40 million in Tennyson, you know, just when we had one working here. So he basically removed all industry and then it was high unemployment in Ipswich. And it was only high unemployment because the government shut down our major um, work resources. So that was devastating for people. Um you know, people that were here in Ipswich working the mines had to go out to Milmerin or, you know... Right Some more out. remote locations, yes. Yeah, and mm. so their kids were taken out of their schools or sometimes just the dads went to work, you know, and it wasn't fly in, fly out. It was, you know, be up there for two years away from your family. You know, it was, it was devastating. 
1985, the city centre had its heart ripped out with the Reeds fire. Do you remember the events of that day? Yes, well, it was. It happened through the night, mm. really, and then we got up to, of course, the Queensland Times and everyone, the, the streets were shut off, obviously, for safety, but... You know, it was just unbelievable what happened there with that bitumen bubbling. And you could see that fire from anywhere in Ipswich. didn't matter where you were. Those flames were right up in the air. It was raging all right. Do you think there was widespread awareness at the time of what a significant turning point that would be for the city centre? I think at that point everyone was just so saddened by the loss of the the building and the um, historical part of so many people had worked there and, and that whole hub, that, that town. People don't understand, like when I was a child and used to go to town on a Saturday morning, it, it is hard for people to even understand this, but they used to have a policeman on each corner up on the top of Nolan's Corner to move the crowds because there were so many people in town. They and- had, to move, had to move the people on because it got too congested. And this would be in the period where the shops closed either 11.30 or midday and everybody crammed their weekend shopping into three or four hours. Yeah, and they managed it and everyone then went home and had family life and that's what I'm saying. They were happy times. And you didn't have to buy toilet rolls in bulk either. Correct. (laughs) I can tell you, in my my opinion, and anyone can shoot me if they want to, but in my opinion, equally dramatic and even worse for Ipswich financially was... Springfield. When Springfield started, they've taken, and, and I'll, I'll just say this on your podcast, for 10 years, Springfield collected all the rates of Springfield and it was spent on the infrastructure for Springfield. Half the rates of Ipswich were collected and given to Springfield infrastructure. That was a, the biggest demise in Ipswich's history. Let's talk about the 1990s and early 2000s and uh, Ipswich property prices. They were lagging behind many areas. Houses were literally going for a song compared to today. Can you remember the first property you sold? Yes, it was in uh, in Vendamba. It was a high set and I listed it that morning and then I went back to the office and a buyer came into the office and I took them down there and the the buyers just said, oh, June, thank you, you found us our home. And I thought, wow, how good is this job? <laughs> you love selling real estate when that happens. <laughs> Can you remember the price it sold for? It was like 78000 or something like that. Wow. Well under 100 at any rate. Yep. Now, in property, we know there are boom and bust periods. That's just history telling us that. Can you describe those periods or eras for Ipswich? Yeah, so if we start, my real estate career started in the 90s. I bought, I must have bought my house in the 80s. But 39,000, the real estate market had gone really backwards then because mm. I've seen this, I saw this property, a little bit of colonial on half an acre, in several real estate agents' windows at about 69000 At any rate, short story, lagged on the market for a year and I bought it at auction for 39000 So, um, And I looked at 200 houses before I bought that house, so I felt, you know, very certain in my, in my purchase. And mm. I then went on, I sold that five years later, doubled my money, and on it went from there. So the market started to pick up, but that was just coming out of all of that, you know, low, um, you know, employment and you know people losing their jobs so then we came into the 90s and the RAF increased their um, personnel I I can tell you 90 people came in in a three-month period and it pushed the prices up 25 percent in that 90 
because it was just, it's like a tsunami. There's a cause and effect. So yes. they, came, they bought 90 houses and then the 90 people that were displaced bought 90 houses and it, ju- it just went on. Sort and of then, snowballed from there. Was that the early 2000s? No, that was in the night. That was in the. Oh, 90s. that was in the nineties. Okay. Yeah, and then it went. Then we had the recession. We had to have. Don't mm-hmm. forget that. Mm-hmm. And that was devastating. I also had an office in Centenary. Then devastating. You know, you would. I, I would literally, you know, have six or seven contracts on the weekend, and on the way to work, you would hear this factory's closed down. This place is bankrupt. This place is gone. This is in receivership, and four of your contracts would fail because the people had lost their jobs. Right. So that was, that was just terrible, terrible times. Mm. Then, um, then we had the millennium, and we and millennium reminded me of COVID. We got to year two thousand. We all thought, yay, you know, new century. It's all going to be great. Yeah, no, just disaster, flat, terrible. How does an agent survive during these slow times, June? You really, you really do acquire a fantastic um, palette for baked beans. <laughs> All right, the, probably the most important um, landmark rise in property price came to Ipswich in 2003 and 2004. In 2003, Liberal government returned. They brought in the GST and along with it, they brought in the First Home Owners Grant. Also in Ipswich, they brought in the Urban Renewal scheme which all of the one mile um, Leichhardt properties were given picket fences painted nice little carports so they were selling for between 58 and 70,000 the first time owners grant was 7,000 which was 10% deposit so the banks recognized that as their deposit and they had no stamp duty so thousands of people could come in and buy their first home people in their 70s were buying their first home they lived in it for a year and guess what? Made $100,000 for living in their own home. That certainly Every was time. an incredible period. And then ne- next year, same deal, another 100000 So people made 200000 in two years by living in Ipswich. That's what's happening now. Maybe not quite as, as fast, but who knows what's coming because Brisbane people, a Brisbane buyer came in last week and offered $100,000 over the list price just to not be involved in a bidding war. So it's really happening again now and it's gathering momentum. So I wouldn't delay purchasing if that's your, what you're wanting to do and it's switch. Well, look, let's fast forward to 12 months ago when COVID hit. There were dire predictions. I remember one big bank in particular uh, for house prices and sales. Open homes were shut down. There were many other hurdles. You had to quickly reinvent yourself how you did real estate. What did you do? Gardening. So- <laughs> <laughs> Can I tell you, in 30-year career, that's the only four weekends off in a row that I had, and it was like, you can't make me go out, you can't make me open up houses. Yeah. Government, government says I've got to stay at home. You had a, a forced holiday. The phones were still ringing, you know, people were still inquiring, and, um, you know, part of, you know, that whole movement, you just got used to. The girls were in the office, they were fantastic. We kept the doors shut. Mm-hmm. Because we're still running our rent roll, but I, I just worked from home, and so you could just get a whole lot of things done at, at home while you're on your phone, you know, emailing, doing everything you need to do. So, um, and then it was evident, absolutely evident, that there was this quantum shift that people were at home. So, yes. in which Bunnings ran out of paint, they literally ran out of paint because people were at home, 
Yes. And they go, oh, let's paint this now. Let's do that. So everyone's off to Bunnings and everything was running out, you know, down there because they were getting their houses ready for market. Yes. And people were calling me out, June, can you come look at the house? What should we do? What should we do? So you could see a lot of people were getting ready for a shift. Yep. And because people needed an office or two offices, people were at home. Their kids came home in the afternoon. They weren't at daycare. They wanted a bigger yard. So you could see that you could see people saying, June, this just doesn't suit our lifestyle now. We want to do this. We want to do that. You know, but, but because the interest rates were down so far, the bank said to them, oh, well, don't sell where you live. You can rent that out because rents have moved up. And, you know, interest rates are so low, just go and buy your other house and keep that one. So the, the properties weren't turning over, coming back on. So as soon as something came on the market, Everyone was all over it. So it was just supply and demand. It wasn't rocket science. It was just supply and demand. So that dire prediction for house prices to plummet never happened. Um, Not ever. It's, was, it's like the opposite's happened. Yeah, well, it was pretty much the Commonwealth Bank doom and gloom. I don't know what what someone was on. They should add their Prozac or whatever they were in there because even the ABC rang me and said, June, you know, we've spoken to you over the years. This can't be right. What? what and I said, what, what are they backing it up with? Like we've got we've got people ready to put their houses on the market. We've got people ready to buy them. You know, all they've done is unfortunately some people got got caught up in that and they dumped their properties. They let them go cheap. You know, just before the biggest boom we've seen in years and years and years because the Commonwealth Bank they should be taken to task on that, in my opinion. Well, let's talk about those current market conditions in Ipswich. How would you describe them? I would say it's good to be an owner and good to be a buyer because whoever buys here is going to make money, whoever's selling here, they need to buy in the same market or, you know, they'll, you know, pick up on this one and if they stay out of the market too long, they're going to lose any gain they've made just by, you know, not investing their money back into Ipswich. Any specific Ipswich hotspots you want to talk about? Look, I think across the board it's it's pretty lovely, but if you if you put a compass point in the middle of the CBD and do a 5K radius around it, you just couldn't do wrong. Anywhere up near the hospitals, that you know that we've got expansion of the um, general hospital and mm. the private hospital St Andrews. St Andrews um, director tells me they've got 39 doctors on standby waiting for work. They're living in the Ipswich area, renting, just waiting to get positions. That's the expense. So big expense. So now you know we've lost the coal mining, this that. So now what we have is an education hub. The, educa- the schools here bring so many people to live here so they can educate their children for a third of the price of Brisbane for equal standard of education. And so they can live in a beautiful home here, educate their children to a high standard and not have to be living on baked beans to do it. <laughs> Along with your passion for Ipswich is your own home, Growry. It's yeah. one of the city's most stately and historic homes. Tell me about how you came to buy this home. Well, that was a bit fortuitous in that the owner said to me, could you come and have a look at the house? Would you got to look at it from the street? Because I paid through real estate agents and I just need a price. At any rate, so I peered over the fence and I hadn't even really noticed it before because it had all big trees in front of it. And I rang him back and I said, Eddie, hard to say without getting inside, but I would think at least a million. It has to be over a million. And that's when the Ipswich market had just taken off to the point that I sold something the 500,000 and was nearly executed in the town square for <laughs> making things un- unaffordable for people, as I recall. <laughs> anyway, so I, I said to Eddie, you know, I might have some interest in your property. And so I said, I'd like to bring the children. And um, we pulled up 
and we can only look in two rooms downstairs. The kids are asleep upstairs. Walked around the outside. That was it. It was it was absolutely dilapidated, fallen down. There's no two ways. We just loved it. Absolutely loved it. And we signed up the contract on the kitchen table that morning on the spot. Wow, it's a genuine. It was a genuine dual upper, and I think you're the seventh owner since 1888. If the walls would could talk, what do you think they'd say to you? I think they'd say um, everyone that's lived there has loved living there, but I think they would also say. How clever was the architect of the day? Everyone thinks they're so smart now, but I will tell you, in the in the back of the house facing the west uh, is a bathroom and above the bathroom the ceiling's been lowered and there's a uh, water tank there, a shallow water tank, and so the sun heats up the water so you can have a shower. So there's the first solar heart yes. in 1888. Wow. There's, um, you know, there's all vents and windows to get in. They had their own dairy there. They had a 48,000-gallon water tank, concrete water tank. That's phenomenal. Under, under the ground. So they already had their own water, you know, everything they, they needed, they supplied and did themselves. And, you know, it, it had an ensuite off the main bedroom even back then. So a lot of things that um, – and his and her dressing rooms off the main bedroom – two separate walk-through rooms for his and her dressing. That's so, incredible. It, so people think there's all these new innovations, but in, in um, 1888, it was all there. It was all there. Well, it's so much more than a place to live for you. It's a major commitment to preserving history. Can you share what you've done since owning the property? Yeah, so when I went there, I because I'm a glass, you know, flowing over, not even half full, I'm just like, <laughs> oh, yeah, this is all right. I can just do this and then. <laughs> Then I had this big black tie night. Everyone goes, June, what have you done? What have you done, girl? Look at all the work. And I'm going, oh, no, it's all right. And they go, no, look at all the work. At any rate, so I underpinned it, the whole bottom level um, outside, the flooring, the posts, all the fretwork around. That was all hand cut. I was very lucky to have a retired English builder and he had skills in the masonry, brickwork, um, timber, plumbing, everything. He could do everything because he was England. That was the style of house he had been working on. Yes, of course. So that whole bottom level was built, underpinned, painted. The walls were all cracked inside. So I got the um, the gentleman that did the restoration of Brisbane City Hall and he came and repaired all the cracks after we underpinned it and, you know, on and on, paint, timber, this, that, this, that. And I'm just now, the timber's just arrived yesterday to replace the top-level veranda. Well, that is fantastic news. So it's there for at least another 100 years? I would hope so. Mm. Just wrapping up the chat, June, and it's been wonderful for you to take so much time. Is there a single piece of advice you can offer first home buyers? I think you have to go with your heart. Of course, get your building and pest checks and all of that, but... I think if you, and in my whole life too, you can look at a lot of things and some things on paper seem to be what you should do, but if something's calling you and something's pulling at your heart and and you feel right about it, that's the one you sign on. Gut feel. There's a lot going for it. June Frank, thank you so much for sharing your very personal story and your love of Ipswich and thanks for talking to Ipswich today. Good eye. Thanks so much, Alan. Bye-bye now. Ipswich Today is supported by Kinetics, people-powered web hosting trusted by Australian businesses since 1999.
This podcast is also listener supported. Please make a once-only gift or regular donation to help keep it online. Just go to ipswitchtoday.com.au and click the donate button at the bottom of the page. You can subscribe for free and share this podcast from your favourite app, including iHeartRadio, or play Ipswich Today from your smart speaker. Music is supplied by Purple Planet Music. This is Alan Roebuck. Thanks for listening. From legendary locals we all know to people you should get to know. Follow Ipswich Today on your favourite app and never miss an episode or go to ipswichtoday.com.au.